Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. God, we are thankful for the way that you gather your people. God, we know that this isn't just a a normal gathering. There's something supernatural happening um, as our hearts align and and look to you um, as we worship. And because of that, God, we're expectant um, that you'll do a work in this place and that you'll do a work in all of our hearts. So God, work as only you can. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, I have a good friend who is the pastor of what he would say the emphasis on the First Baptist Church of Enterprise, Alabama. And he is as Alabama as they come, so much so that his dog's name is Bocephus. And so he has this saying where he says, you know, the the earth is the heart of the universe, and America is the heart of the earth, and Dixie is the heart of America, and Alabama Baptist is the heart of Dixie, and Enterprise is the heart of Alabama, and First Baptist is the heart of Enterprise, and I'm the heart of First Baptist. And so basically to know him is to know the center of everything. Um, and so I don't agree with any of the things he says, but with that type of thinking, you could say that the Bible is the greatest book written in the history of the world. And of the Bible, the greatest book is the letter written to the Romans. The greatest chapter is chapter eight. And I would say the greatest verse is verse one. All that to say, it is impossible for us to unpack the depths of what we're going to be working through over the next three weeks. This is a mine that you just keep coming back to and it never runs out of gold. It's a well that never runs dry. This text is something that you can return to for the entirety of your Christian life and it will never come up short in giving you truth that will nourish and satisfy the depths of who you are, all right? So this is gonna be good, and I hope it's a blessing for you. Real quick, if it's your first time at Redeemer or you've been out, we've been doing a study through the book of Romans. We started in September. This is gonna take us all the way to May, and I wanna get you caught up and just give you a 50,000-foot view of this letter real quick. You could say the first four chapters give us the heart of the gospel. So chapters one through four, it's all about the heart of the gospel. In that, it reveals to us bad news. The bad news is that whether you are a moral person or a wicked person, whether you are religious or irreligious, that when we stand before God, we are all equally sinful. Bad news. But the good for Jesus, we can't save ourselves. And, and that's bad news. But the good news is that we are saved by grace through faith, which means our right standing with God, our being justified, doesn't come from what we can do. It comes from what Jesus has done. And that's beautiful. That's amazing. That's incredible. That's the gospel, all right? And so then as we get into chapters five through eight, we reach the hope of the gospel. 
The hope of the gospel is that even though we are saved, we still have this struggle with sin. And as we struggle, we don't have to worry about whether or not we've lost our salvation, that we can have security in knowing that we are his. So there's this hope that we, we're not gonna fall out of God's hands, right? And then as you get to chapters nine through 11, it's a defense of the gospel. And then chapters 12 through 16 is the transforming power. But today we're going to wrap up that, that hope of the gospel with chapter eight. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That therefore, I would say, is the most powerful therefore in all of Scripture. Paul has been hammering home these beautiful and amazing and and huge truths of the gospel, and now he's going to start to draw some conclusions, specifically in relation to, to how God feels towards us as Christians. And so he's drawing some conclusions. So he says, therefore, in light of all the stuff we've been talking about, let's see how this has implications for your life today. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Right? No condemnation. That means that our position before God as Christians has changed. It's a legal term that means that we are free from debt or penalty. It means that God has nothing against you. So a person who is in Christ is free from the weight of sin, the, the guilt that sin brings and the penalty it leads to. All of that stuff, the Christian has been freed from because of Christ. And that truth is a forever truth. The the declaration, there is no condemnation, is something that we can declare today and that we can continue to declare as we live our lives. Now, let me explain why that's a big deal, right? So often we treat Jesus's work on the cross kind of like getting out of a hole, so let's say that you, you have a mortgage payment. And so for us, super lucky, the bank made us auto draft. So I'm like, that's fun, right? And so I don't have to worry about it. It's just gonna come out every month. I don't have to think about paying that bill. But let's say that you're paying that bill and it's gotta be on your mind. You gotta calendar it out. And so for you, you need to remember, let's, let's just say for illustration's sake, that one month you forget. Life was crazy, it was busy. And then you're halfway through the next month and you're going, oh no. I didn't pay that bill. What happens? Is this when I get the letter with the red on it? I don't know. And so, so you start to kind of panic and then you're thinking, I'm going to have to double up on this. And, and then in that moment, your car breaks down and you're paying an auto bill. Then you have to go to the doctor and there's a follow-up appointment, all of a sudden medical bills. And then, then all of a sudden you're going, I don't have the resources to back pay, much less to pay this month. And then you enter the third month and you're thinking, I am digging a hole that I don't know how to get out of. Right? And so the way that we, we tend to or so often treat Jesus' work on the cross, it's like that he comes and pulls us out of that hole and he pays what we owed. That he, just, he pays it off. And the reason that this is wrong is because what we do with that is we know there's another mortgage payment coming next week or next month. And we tend to treat it like, well, Jesus got us out of the hole. Now we need to be ready to pay the bill to come. And that's not the gospel. Jesus doesn't just forgive us of our debt and give us a clean slate and tell us to do the work going forward. He forgives us of all sin, past, 
present, and future. So the idea of standing before God condemned is a reality that does not exist for the Christian forever. That declaration that there is no condemnation is true of us for all eternity because of Jesus. So we don't have to worry about feeling this this guilt or this, this penalty of sin because of what we've done. All right, so what happens with that is, um, is so often we, we lose sight of the fact that there's no condemnation. We lose sight of that there's no penalty or punishment for sin because of what Jesus did. And that affects the way that, that affects the way we view suffering. Let me just, let me just explain. Um, sometimes things go wrong in life. Things fall apart. And what you do is you trace it back to what in my life did I forget to correct or not correct or rebel against that God is now punishing me for? So you sit there and you feel like God's telling you to stop speeding. And you know that you shouldn't be speeding and jumping speed bumps in the neighborhood and, and you don't do it. And then eventually your, your relationship with someone just completely tanks and it, it falls apart. And, and you're like, God is punishing me because, because I didn't stop speeding, right? And so just think, think about that. When is the last time? When is the last time life fell apart for you and you reasoned that it's falling apart because God must be punishing me for something I did? Maybe you're doing that right now. When, when did you just reason that God must be punishing me because I didn't do this? Here's the truth of no condemnation. No condemnation means that it is impossible for God to punish a Christian today. Let me break this down as simple as I can. Let's say that, that Stephen's like, Jeff, I forgot my wallet and I'd love to have a mocha. Can I borrow five bucks? And so I give him $5 and he's like, and I'm like, hey, I kind of need that. I got a mortgage payment coming up. And so, so I give him $5 and he's like, great, I'll pay you back. And so he goes and buys his mocha, All right? Then Jose is seeing this across the room and he's like, I've seen this pay it forward at Chick-fil-A and I want to like pay it forward and pay some grace. And so he goes up to me, says, Jeff, I saw that you just gave Stephen $5. I want to pay that on his behalf, but don't tell him. Just here's the $5. His debt is wiped away. So now all of a sudden I have $5 that was on Stephen's behalf. So the debt is settled. I'm, I'm freed up, right? Paid. If Stephen comes up to me tomorrow and is like, hey, here's the $5 I owed you. And I'm like, thanks. And I take that, put in my wallet after receiving payment over here, what happened? I took double payment. And that wouldn't make me a good guy. That would make me a shady guy, right? And so, so what this looks like is that on the cross, God punishes all of your sin on Jesus. Jesus absorbs the fullness of the punishment that you deserve. So that debt is paid in full, paid in full. So if God comes over here 2,000 years later and then punishes you for a sin that was already paid for at the cross, he would be taking double payment, which is something he can't do because it's not in his character because he is a just God. It is literally impossible for God to punish you today for something that was already punished on the cross. So if your life is, is falling apart or if things are going wrong, hear me. No condemnation means that God is not responding to you in anger. He is not punishing you. He is not some cruel God or evil God or mad God towards you. He forever loves you because of Jesus. So when things go wrong, it's not God punishing you. It, it could be that God might be shaping you or forming you, but it is 100% done out of love, not out of vindication. 
Okay, like this is a beautiful truth for us to hold on to that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You see, God's love for you does not hinge on how much your life looks like Jesus. His love for you is secure to the degree that you are in Christ. And being in Christ is an all or nothing place to be. So if you are in Christ, you are fully known and fully loved. Look at verse two. He says, for the law of the spirit of life, that's a, that's a way of talking about the gospel, for the gospel, right, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He, he, he's saying that God's grace, the power of the Holy Spirit, frees us from the danger of thinking that our obedience has anything to do with being right with God. We no longer think that we can earn his acceptance. We realize that it is a free gift. Verse three, he says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. All right, so this is kind of the how. If you're asking, how do we get to stand in a position of no condemnation? It happens because Jesus stands in our place, right? So what we see is that the law can't solve our problem. It can't solve our sin problem. So what God does is he sends Jesus. And when it says the likeness of sinful flesh, that's a unique way of Paul showing that Jesus was fully human and completely sinless. So he's fully human, completely sinless. So God sends Jesus to stand in our place so he can take the punishment or the condemnation that we deserve on the cross. So how does that happen? Jesus absorbs God's wrath for us. All right, look at verse four. Verse four, he says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. What this means is that Jesus became who we are so we could become who he is, righteous before God. Look at that. It says the righteous requirement, that word requirements. Here, here's a way to think of this. The law shows us, the Old Testament law shows us that what God requires for us to be in right standing with him is perfection. What God requires is perfection. So if you think you're a pretty good person, that still doesn't cut it. None of us are perfect, which means none of us can be right with God on our own, all right? So what God requires is perfection. What the first part of verse four tells us is that what God requires, he has provided. What God requires of us, he has provided through Christ. Jesus became who we are so that we might become who he is. And then the back half, it says, for those who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what, what does that mean? What does it mean to not walk according to the flesh, but to walk in accordance with the spirit? It means that your confidence in your drawing near to God is not your obedience. It's Christ's obedience on your behalf. So this, your confidence for your ability to draw near to God doesn't come from you keeping a track record of doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. It comes from what Jesus has perfectly fulfilled on your behalf. And why this is so important is I think about it like this. Last Saturday, confession time, I was not a good husband. 
We had that awkward moment where Lucy's like, I'm gonna go get coffee. And she just disappeared, right? And like, I'm with the kids, like, I think I did something wrong. I did something wrong. And so bad day, bad day in the Martin family. All right, now Sunday rolls around, okay? And on Sunday, now I thought this year, I'm gonna be the best husband I can be. So I bought this awesome devotional by Tim Keller and it's about marriage. It's him and his wife. I'm like, Kathy and Tim are amazing. Like, what if we could do like them? So, so that devotional, that daily devotional sits on our coffee table, right? So the next day, I'm looking at that devotional and I'm thinking, I can't pick that up. Like if I bring that devotional to Lucy at this moment, she's gonna be like, who are you to try to lead our family? Do you remember yesterday? Like, like, like that, that would not go well. So like, I'm like, I can't pick that up until I've got a couple of good husband days under my belt. Like I'll be a good husband for a few days. And once I'm good for a few days, then I'll feel much more confident in being like, hey, let's read this devotion. Um, and so I, I kind of kept it to the side. Now we do that with God. And so what we do is we, we, have, we all have our sin issues, our struggles. And so what happens is sometimes we, we mess up and we're like, ah, I did it again. I, I struggled with this sin. I messed up. And then we see our Bibles, you know, laying on the coffee table. Or for some people, it's in the corner of their car or bent up from like five weeks ago when they were at church. And it's like, you see it and you're going, I should spend time with God. But you, because your confidence is in your obedience, like in your ability to be good, you look at that and you go, but God would be so disappointed if I came to him after doing that. So I need to get a couple of good days under my belt. And once I do the right thing for a few days, then I'll come to God and he'll, he'll be okay with me opening up his word and spending time with him. And when we do that, we're showing that our confidence is in our flesh. We're not walking in the power of the spirit. But when we walk in the power of the spirit, or when you walk according to the spirit, what you realize is in the moment of your sin, that God has already declared no condemnation over you, which means you don't have to wait to get it right, that you can worship him right then and there and he is smiling upon you. God doesn't want you to waddle around and hang out in your guilt for a little bit. He's saying, come to me now and come to me soon. I'll love you the same no matter what. That's the beauty of no condemnation is that you can come to God whenever with whatever type of condition you feel that you are in. All right, look at, look at verses five through eight. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, that's, that's an important term, setting your mind, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so verse eight is just real quick side note. Verse eight does not say, it's not saying that non-Christians can't do good things. Sometimes people hear that wrongly. I know plenty of non-Christians who do incredible things for our school, for our neighborhood, for Johnson City. And like, like, it's not saying they can't do good things. What it's saying is that if you are not a Christian, right? If you're not a follower of Christ, then your greatest loyalty will never be to God. And if God is in the second chair, you cannot live a life that is fully pleasing to him. So he's just saying this is about loyalties. You're, you're, you can't please God because you have another loyalty, all right? But verses five through seven, talk about these two different mindsets, all right? And so when it says set your mind, what it means to set your mind on something, 
right? That means to continually think about or to constantly desire and value something to the point that it controls your life. That what you're thinking about begins to control how you handle your finances, begins to control how you spend your time. It begins to control your emotions, whether it was a good day or a bad day. Like to set your mind on something means that it has control of your life. And what Paul wants us to see is that where your mind goes, your life follows. So what your mind is set on, right, that dictates the way that you live your life. Where your mind goes, your life follows. For example, a couple weeks ago, Stephen and I, um, Stephen Blackburn, our, our community life pastor, we went hiking to Frog Level. Now, I don't know if you're a hiker or you ever, if you've ever, ever been to Frog Level, but Frog Level crosses a river multiple times and there's no bridges. Just thick, like industrial military grade wires, one, and you got to get on it and just kind of maneuver yourself across the river. And so Stephen's light, agile, I think he did gymnastics as a kid. So he's like, straight across. I'm like an ogre. I'm like, 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 I'm like, like going, I feel like I'm almost there. And he's like, here halfway, dude. I'm like, oh gosh. Like trying to, so I get across it. And so on the way back, after doing these multiple crossings, he goes, we could just jump. Um, like, so you're looking at rocks throughout the river. And so I said, light, nimble, quick, Jack. And so he's just like, he's like, and he's on the other side. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, I can't do this. And so I look at a rock and I go, okay, my mind is thinking, don't fall in, right? Don't fall in the river. It's 30 something degrees outside. Who knows how cold Laurel Fork is like, like this is. And so I jump and I go, boosh, like straight in the water, like a cat. I climb back on real quick and I'm hanging onto that rock. And at this point, as I'm soaking wet, I'm debating on whether or not just to walk through. I'm like, should I just give up? Like, just I'm walking. And, um, and so then I look and the rock in front of me is even further and didn't make that one. So now I have to go back. And so as I'm looking back, I'm thinking again, don't fall in. And I jump and fall in a second time into the river. And so Stephen's like, I haven't heard those words come out of a pastor's mouth before. And so, um, and so, and so I get up and then I'm like, like, so what happened? Like, where was my mind? My mind was on the river, right? And my life followed, right? Like when you're thinking about something, your life just tends to follow suit. And so here's the, here's the question. If you're here today and you're, you're feeling distant from God, that, that idea of death that it talks about in verses five through seven, death, like that, that's, that's being separated from God, right? And like, and the risk is being separated him from all, for all eternity, Right, so if you're feeling like I'm just distant from God today, a good place to start is to ask yourself, where's my mind? What have I been thinking about? When I have time to daydream, when I, when I don't have other things to think about, where does my mind go and what do I let sit there? Are you sitting on things that draw you close to God? Like think about his, his greatness and his love for you and, and the grace that he gives and, and just finding yourself in awe? Are you thinking about things that draw you to him? Or does your mind go to things that feed your hunger for lust and power and money and other idolatrous things? See, because if you're letting those things control your life and your mindset, your life will go after those instead of after God and you will find yourself experiencing distance from him. Right? And so, so what are you thinking about? Where does your mind go? Mindset is so important when it comes to experiencing the life God has saved us for. Look at verse nine. 
He says, you, however, and this is a shift. He's now talking to his audience. He's like, okay, in case you're wondering, like, am I in the spirit? Am I in the flesh? I'm not sure. He goes, you, Christians, those who have trusted Christ. He's like, listen to me. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Think about like anyone who doesn't have the spirit doesn't belong to Christ. And he says the spirit dwells in us. That, that idea of dwelling is not um, an occasional presence. It's not how some people treat the gym. Like I occasionally go there and frequent it. Like it's like, like this is a permanent residence. It's like I'm putting up shop and I'm never going to leave. The Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Christ, has taken permanent residence in your life. So what that means is that if you want more of the Holy Spirit, you don't need a second baptism. You don't need someone that's more holy than you to come and give them your anointing. You don't need some handkerchief that's been dusted with someone's holy water, you know, from like a televangelist to like be like, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit, like by definition, what he says in here, if you're, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. So like, if you are a Christian, you have the full measure of the Holy Spirit in your life. An illustration we've used is, is making chocolate milk. You get a glass and you dump 2% milk in it because that's God's milk. And like, 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 and so you put your milk in there, then you get Hershey's chocolate syrup and, and, you, and you dump it in the glass and it just goes straight to the bottom, right? And then once you have enough syrup in there, you can step back and you can look at this glass and the milk is unaffected, right? And so that's, when we are Christians, it's like that syrup. We are given the full measure of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But for that chocolate, to make chocolate milk, you have to stir it up. And as it stirs, it begins to affect the entirety of the glass. And so the question isn't how much of the Holy Spirit do you have? It's how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Or how much of you are you allowing the Holy Spirit to affect? So we need, to, we need to have the Spirit stirred within us as we experience the life God has saved us for. All right, verse 10. He says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. In verses 10 and 11, Paul's recognizing that even though we are now alive in the spirit, even though the spirit dwells in us, sin still has an effect on our lives. This can be seen in the fact, by the fact that we all die. Like we all will die a mortal death. So that shows that sin is still affecting us, right? But what he shows us is that even though our bodies are doomed to die, the spirit that raised Jesus from the grave guarantees that he will raise our bodies as well, right? And so, and so then we get to verses 12 through 13, right? Now, a lot of you probably have a little break in your chapter. And, um, and I'll just say this, verses 12 and 13 are more of a conclusion to verses 1 through 11 than they are an introduction to verses 14 and following. So, so let's just keep working. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's like, hey, by the spirit, you can put to death 
the things that are pulling you away from experiencing God's grace. All right, so if I was to just frame up what's the most important thing or what's the big idea of the first part of chapter eight, it's simply this. Forgiveness, verse one, fuels our fight for holiness. All right, so in verses 12 through 13, Paul is saying God is serious about your holiness. God is serious about us as Christians putting into effect the new life he has given us. So forgiveness is meant to fuel our fight for holiness. I grew up in a church that was very evangelistic. People knew how to share their faith. And, and so a question that you were taught from an early age to ask someone, whether they're a friend or a family member or a neighbor, is if, if you died tonight, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? And that's an incredible question. And that's a, a, a question that you needed an answer to, right? And so then depending on how they responded, you could kind of field how do we guide this towards Jesus, right? But what we missed at that church is that what do we do if they don't die? Like, what, like what, why isn't the question, if you live, if you live and wake up tomorrow, how does knowing Jesus change the way you live your life? And that's just as important of a question to wrestle with. That's what, that's what Paul wants us to see. It's just as important as it is to know God's forgiveness. It's important to let Jesus affect the way that you live. All right, so, so how do we fight against sin that keeps us from this holiness? Or how do we make progress in looking more and more like Jesus? Look, this is one of the most important truths that I've learned over the last few years, and it's a truth I wish I would have learned a long time ago, okay? We are saved by grace, and we are changed by grace, right? In the same way that you find salvation by grace through faith, you experience sanctification by living in that grace as well. Grace is the fuel that drives us to be more like Jesus. I think about it like this. One of my best friends, um, Johnny, he, was, he went to Texas A&M, and if you're from Texas, like, there's good Aggie jokes. He set it up, okay? Um, so what he did is he had his exterior. He shows up to the gas station, and he needs gas, and he pulls out the, the nozzle, and it doesn't fit. So it won't fit into the, the gas tank. And so he's like, what in the world, Exxon? Like, what are you doing? And so, and so somehow he manipulates it in such a way that he forces gas into his tank or forces fuel into his tank. And then as he's going down the road, his car starts to... to mess up and fall apart. It's like, what happened? And he's like on the road, like dead. And so it doesn't work. And turns out that there are pumps that are made for diesel engines and they don't fit into gas engines because they're, they're like preventative. It's like, we don't want you to put this fuel into that tank. And so they try to make it where it doesn't work. And so he took diesel fuel and put it into a gas engine and that fuel destroyed it or caused it to fall apart, all right? And so what happens when we, when we forget what it means that there is no condemnation is that when we think there is condemnation, that God could be punishing us or that we should feel the guilt and weight of our sin fully on our shoulders, we begin to pursue Jesus with the wrong fuel. We are fueled by guilt, a desire to do something to not feel bad or a desire to correct something that we did mess up and guilt drives us and we try to get further down the road in our progress to be like Jesus with the wrong type of fuel, guilt instead of grace, and it tanks us. But grace is meant to sustain us to where we begin to pursue Christ's likeness, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we're floored by God's goodness, right? And so we grow by grace as well. 
In the same way that we are saved, we are changed. Right? So no condemnation means that not only are we fully forgiven in Christ, it means that that forgiveness fuels our fight for holiness by making us fully alive in the Holy Spirit. So, so how, let's just get real, let's get real practical for a second here. How do we stir up the Holy Spirit to where we experience more of God's grace? How do we stir up the Holy Spirit in such a way that it begins to affect and change the way that we live? Because right? that can be really ambiguous. I remember the, the last gaming system I had was a Nintendo 64. And I think I haven't touched it since 1999. Like I had Mario Kart, a jet ski game, and like WWF. It was like before it went WWE. And so Stone Cold Steve Austin. But I had friends that were amazing at video games. And so we would play games together. Maybe it was a fighting game. And they would take that controller and they would have moves. It was like up, up, left, right, right button, left button, square button, peg, like in the hole. Like, like, I don't know, like, like And all of a sudden, their guy takes my guy, uppercuts him, tears him in half, and throws it. It's like finished. And you're like, what happened? Right? Like, and so, that's so complicated. How did you learn that? And I'm over here just hitting buttons. I'm like, just work, you know? And so sometimes when we think about the stirring of the Holy Spirit. We think it's really complex that maybe our friend had the magazine that taught them the code and they've got it down and we're over here just hitting buttons, hoping it works out. Like, how do I do that? And so but here's what you need to realize. The spirit being stirred in your life is not complex, it's not a complex thing. So let's just let's get let's get it down and just get it street level. Let's get let's just make this as simple as possible. Okay, look at verse five. Verse five, five says, "For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit." You see, the spirit is not. God's active force. The Spirit is a person, which means that the Spirit is relational and the Spirit has interests. So the things of the Spirit, those are the things that the, the Spirit loves, the things the Spirit are, is interested in, the things that the Spirit desires. So he says we need to set our minds on those things. So, to, so to, to grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit where he's stirred within your life, I would say just two things, right? The first is, is presence, right? Presence. The second is common ground. Presence and common ground are necessary ingredients for a growing relationship. Okay, so the first thing is like, if the spirit is a person, we wanna be in his presence, which means we live such busy lives where you wake up in the morning and you're doing things before the day's even started and then you go to work and you put your nose to the ground and you just kind of crank through and you get home and you get home and you have a whole other list of things to get accomplished and then by the time you can settle down and go to bed, you're already thinking about what tomorrow holds and you can't really check out and then you fall asleep and wake up and repeat. And, and so what happens is if we don't reorient our lives, we will fail to live in the reality of the Spirit's presence. So if we want to be in relationship with him, we have to be intentional about reorienting our lives in such a way that we experience these moment-by-moment -moment presences of the Spirit in our life. So what, what does that look like? One, breath prayers. You can look into this more. A breath prayer is simply a prayer you can say in a breath. 
that's a practice that, that is under practice and something we need to develop. So let's say you're at work, you're in your office, and you're getting ready to go meet with someone. As you're walking down the hall, you can say a breath prayer. God, help me to be Jesus to them. I have no idea what their week looked like or their day has been like, but just help me to be the presence of Christ. And walk in. And all of a sudden, you have set your mind to remember the presence of the Holy Spirit in you as you step into that meeting. That's, that's just a simple way to practice the presence. Another way is, what would it look like at lunch if you said, okay, I'm just going to take five minutes to read God's Word? And who cares if you get through a chapter or the verses you wanted to? Just spend time with God for five minutes and just remember Him. What about that drive home from work? I am, I am notorious for this, where I think, I just want to get home to my wife and my kids, and I just want to get home. And so, so I leave, and I think, but I can make that one more call. I can, just get, I can get that call in. And so when I'm driving down the road, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I don't have the Bluetooth thing going. My truck broke. So I just hold my phone out like it's like on speakerphone. I'm like, is this hands-free? I don't think so. I'm holding it, but I'm not to my ear. And, like, and I'll make a call, and I'll talk to someone the whole way home. Right? What would it look like if, if you said, okay, I'm going to be intentional with my drive? that I'm just going to turn the radio off. I'm going to put the phone down. I'm just going to hang out with the creator of the universe. You see, this is just scraping the surface, but there's so many things that we can do that we can incorporate where we can reorient our day-to-day lives to experience the moment-by-moment presence of the Holy Spirit. So practice the presence. And the next thing is common ground, right? Presence plus common ground is necessary. Those are necessary ingredients for a growing relationship. So begin to find interest in the things that the Holy Spirit is interested in. Now, this list, we could build it out and it could get very big, but let's just just start with two things. Two things. One, the Spirit loves the church. What would it look like for you to have an invested interest in the bride of Christ like he does? And so let me, because look, Redeemer has programs. I get that. And we need people to serve. I get that. I know you're like, don't, if you ask me to serve right now, I'm out. Um, um, so I, I'm talking not about programs, but people right now. Okay, people are more important than programs always. When you look around this room, there are so many hurts. There are so many joys. There are so many people that are just experiencing the mundaneness of life. What would it look like for you to see them as someone that you could take interest in and love them the way the Holy Spirit does. Say, so God, I don't know what you're up to in their life, but I want to be a part of it. You can't do that for everybody, but you can do it for a few. Like, what would it look like if you were interested in the church like the Holy Spirit's interested in? Have that common ground. And the second thing is the Holy Spirit is interested in pursuing those who are far from Christ. Who's someone that you're pursuing intentionally? You're saying, this person doesn't know Jesus, and I get the weight and the reality that they could eternally be separated from his grace and love and eternally in the presence of his justice and wrath. And, and I want to, what would it look like if you just said, I want to I just start intentionally pursuing them? Does that mean every conversation is spiritual? No, but it means that there are spiritual conversations. What would it, so if you, I'm telling you, if you, like, let's not make it left, left, right, right, right button, left button, square button, yellow button, turn around. Let's just, let's just make it, like, Presence, common ground. If you begin to cultivate those, the spirit will be stirred within you and you'll begin to understand and live and experience more of what it means to walk in the spirit. What would it look like if we did that this week? What would it look like if we developed that as a church? 
Tell you this would be changing. It'd be life-changing. God, thank you for this journey we're starting in Romans 8. God, we trust that you're going to just keep pouring on to us. And, and I don't know if everything was what everyone needed to hear, but there was something today. God, I ask that you would let it sink deeply in a life-changing way. God, let your forgiveness fuel not just our, our fight for holiness, but our love for holiness. God, it's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.